0: What's up, Dialed Fam? Welcome to episode 173 of the Dialed Health Podcast. My name is Derek Thiel. I'm the owner and head coach here at dialedhealth.com, which is strength training for cyclists. And on today's episode, we sit down with pro XC racer, Sevilla Blanc. She rides for the Rock Rider Ford Racing Team and had an absolute breakout season. First, winning the US National Champs And then moving on to get her first ever World Cup podium, fifth place at Leger, and then even bettering it at Snowshoe where she got a fourth place. So it was an absolute insane end to the season. And I've been wanting to talk to Sevilla for a while now because she's very open about the activation work that she does, prepping for races, and then even just in her training. And there's a video she posted this year with all of the band work she was doing and I, I really wanted to know more details. So we're going to go into that today and you're going to hear exactly what she does on a race day from start to finish, including the details on her activation warm up, and then even what she does on the rollers before she gets off to the start. She also talks about nutrition, race day breakfast. And what's so cool about the timing of this episode is that we just had Cole Patton on the podcast, who is Sevilia's boyfriend. And not only that, But I was just on the Payson McKelvin Adventure Stash podcast, and they're all training together in Spain right now. So it was a very cool kind of full circle, and we're hoping to get their coach on in the upcoming episodes, but we'll see if we can lock that down. Before we jump into the interview, I have a couple things that I want to tell you guys. First thing is that I now am working with The Feed. This is food for endurance athletes, and it's an online store where you can shop and buy single serving items or in bulk of everything you would Ever want to try when it comes to on or off the bike nutrition that's going to fuel your performance and general health and well-being my last order actually consisted of vegan protein powder creatine morton gels precision nutrition chews i had athletic brew uh non-alcoholic beers in there i had uh, a hot shot in there which is like cramp relief all sorts of stuff you would want to try you can package it up and get sent to you in one box so i've become a huge fan of this product over the last year And I'm really excited to be working with them. So we'll be doing an official announcement soon. But I just wanted to put it on your radar and say stay tuned for some upcoming ways to get involved. And next, I want to really encourage you guys to leave a review for the podcast over on Apple or Spotify, whichever platform you prefer to listen on. In fact, I have a five-star review from Renoke Rick or Rick Renoke probably just says love it five stars love this podcast derek always presents great info and it has helped me start making changes in my nutrition and what exercises i focus on beautiful. It's simple and it really makes a huge difference for showing the popularity of the show and just working that algorithm for the podcast. So if you guys have not left a review, please go and do it. It really does make a difference. You can also easily share this podcast with a friend. If there's something that in your mind makes you think of somebody, send it over to them, share the knowledge, share the stoke. Or if you just want to tell the world about it, screenshot that you're listening to the episode, post it to your Instagram story and tag myself and Sevilia. I'll make sure that we have all of the those links in the description. And without further ado, let's dive into this conversation with Sevilla Blanc. Sevilla, thanks for joining us from Spain. How's it going over there?
1: Great, yeah. Thanks for having me. I'm stoked to finally get to chat with you.
0: The timing's perfect. I've wanted to talk to you all year because it's been so fun to watch your season. But it's hilarious because Cole. Obviously, your boyfriend was on the podcast uh, last episode, and I was recently on Payson's podcast for a couple episodes, who is also out in Spain, and you guys are doing all your training together. So it's a crazy uh, small world right now, and it just feels like perfect timing.
1: Yeah, yeah, it's really, really crazy. Um, Yeah, we're all coached by the same guy, Dennis Van Winden, uh, who lives here in Girona. So we are kicking off the... Base season uh, here for the next few months, and and going to start the year here. So,
0: well, maybe I'll come for him next. That would be the perfect way to round this thing out.
1: Yeah, that would really come full circle.
0: Yeah, and so I want to hear about off-season things. But your year was so incredible, and in the progression that you had, and I, I want to make sure we don't miss out on what you have been doing this year because you've made a name for yourself on the XC World Cup and really stamped yourself as one of the top contenders, period. Uh, Not only for the U.S., but across the world. And so let's dive into your race day itself. I'm really curious about start to finish what the day looks like. And I'm kind of hoping that we can just go one step at a time. I figured there'd be plenty of questions along the way. So let's start with race day morning breakfast. What time do you normally wake up? How do you get over to the venue what, what does a normal day look like? uh, let's just say for uh leger, for example, over in Europe,
1: yeah, okay, let's dive into it gosh i'm I need to like think about this. It's been a while since I thought about race day um, but yeah, no, so we race well we race short track on Friday evenings at like six p m so this super late race, then we have Saturday. Um, easy day, last recon on course, checking things out, getting everything finalized and dialed. And then Sunday is the main event, XEO. Uh, the elite women are super lucky because we have probably the best race time out of everyone. We race at like, I, it's usually around 1 PM. So it's a really good time. You kind of wake up about like eight, 8 AM then have your pre-race meal, um, about three hours before the race. So for me, it's, it's nice to just be able to like, get up, eat normal breakfast. You're not like having a small snack and then a small snack later. Um, so yeah, normal breakfast, which for me, my pre-race meal is, um, either rice and eggs or, um, this i use like bobs red mill pancake mix they make a really nice gluten free pancake mix it's like super easily digestible uh really easy to whip up but being over here in europe it's a little bit high maintenance to like always be traveling with this specific uh pancake mix and everyone kind of looks at me like what why can't you just eat like oatmeal um so i i do rice sometimes which is like totally fine and and easy for me Um, so
0: yeah, do that. Can I ask you about that real quick? So are you, my, my wife is gluten-free and are you gluten-free across the board? Or do you just do that on race day to make sure digestion is as easy as possible?
1: Yeah, no, I'm not allergic to anything. Um, but I do just kind of like cut or limit my gluten on race weeks. Um, just because it's like, for, I, I, find it for me, it's easier to just digest things that aren't full of gluten. Um, so yeah, I just kind of, it kind of naturally comes anyway. Um, but I just try to like stay away from that race week and then race morning, like always having the same thing. Um, and so, yeah, I found that pancake mix for some reason. It's just like really easy to digest. Um, I think because it's gluten-free, it's really low fiber and, um, just pretty simple or, or just like white rice is great.
0: The rice and eggs is the most OG bike racer breakfast.
1: It is. And everyone is like, oh, rice and eggs. But I love it. Like there's so many. Well, not so many, but there's, you know, a few nights where Cole and I are like, kind of just want rice and eggs. Like, I mean, not you add <laughs> stuff to it, but <laughs> I think it's like I love it. So haters going to hate. Right.
0: Well, actually, one of my favorite big post ride meals that I have, uh, let's just say I go out on a Saturday for five hours or something, and I come home. I'm obviously hungry. I I used to have a problem just eating the whole pantry and making myself sick. And it's like even though you can afford the calories, it's like you don't want to upset your stomach after just pouring sugar into your gut for that long. And so I started basically reaching for leftovers and i do a stir fry typically because i almost always have leftover white rice in my fridge i always have eggs and i usually have a meat of some sort that's been cooked up so i end up making this stir fry put a little teriyaki sauce on it um, actually sky valley makes a really good gluten-free teriyaki sauce it's the best one i've ever had uh, you can get it at like whole foods in the nugget but Uh, I'll make something like that. I'll throw whatever veggie I have. And it ends up being this awesome stir fry bowl with plenty of protein carbs and it's easy on your stomach. So, uh, that's my little post meal. And maybe you guys, it sounds like you do something like that for dinner.
1: Yeah, for sure. Or like you said, after I actually ate something like that just now for lunch. Um, but yeah, (laughs) like always, yeah. Post workout meals are usually leftovers of some kind of stir fry assortment with rice or pasta or whatever and a little bit of every, every macro you need. Um, but yeah,
0: I love that. And and sorry, I took us off on a tangent so early. Uh, so let's go back to race day morning. (laughs) You eat that breakfast and then what?
1: Okay. Yes. Eat that breakfast. Then I have like three hours, um, before race start. So the next hour after breakfast is kind of digesting, um, I usually just kind of like keep to myself and get into that mental zone. Um, this is my my time where we're still chilling. We're at the house or at the apartment, um, and I'm just really like zoning in. Um, and then two hours before the race, I uh, start getting ready to go. Um, you know, bag is packed. I have... I do like this activation routine before my my race and I do that at the venue. So I have my bag packed with everything and then we head to the venue like usually two hours before the start. Um, and then. Oh, yeah,
0: I, I want to hear about this activation routine because you posted about it and had a video where you're using fans. You looks like you have a cooling vest on uh, then you're jumping on the rollers. So I need the details about this one. I know Dennis knows what he's doing.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, uh, it's been a huge part of my preparation and just process getting ready and into race zone. Um, yeah. I mean, those, those, the morning before race, there's a lot of like kind of stressful, like needing to be here at a certain time, but also a lot of like kind of waiting, waiting times and waiting periods where usually I'm just listening to music and, and getting like mentally into the zone. Um, But the activation routine has been a really big part of my um, preparation before training and especially before racing. Um, It's kind of like the beginning part of my warm-up. So before the race, I do like a 20-minute warm-up on the rollers, but the activation just kind of gets my whole body firing. Um, And I've been using like – I use a couple different kinds of bands. I use like a short one that I put around my knees or just above my knees. Um, and then I have a longer one that I use for different, um, different stuff. And it's kind of, it's kind of progressed and it changes a bit, you know, when like I need to just change it up for the body, when things just, when I get used to some something, uh, sometimes I just need to change it up, but mainly it's just like a bit of everything to activate all the muscles, the upper body, especially, um, the glutes and, just every little muscle to get it firing uh, before I jump on the rollers for that that warm up. Um, and the ice vest, I think you saw. Um, I use that sometimes when it's like a, a hot race. Um, you know, I don't really know exactly like the temperature that it has to be, but usually around like high sixties or seventy degrees. I feel like I need to keep stay on top of that cooling more than other people just because like i'm a heavy sweater um so the ice vest i've used for that just towels ice socks things like that
0: oh that's good to know so you have a mini loop band which a lot of people would recognize as something you'd use uh yeah around the ankles get the hips activated uh maybe you're going full jane fonda doing some clamshells uh laying on the ground uh And then you have the big loop band. Uh, A lot of these are like monster loop bands is the product that Rogue makes that I use. And they're amazing because you could do shoulder presses with them. You could uh, grab a little tighter and do like a Romanian deadlift or some type of variation like that. So what would you say is the most impactful uh, movement that you do with that bigger band? Like if you you switch it up, like you mentioned, but what's the one you're going to do every single time? There's got to be one.
1: Yeah, you know, I've been really focusing on activating my um, my traps and, like, my sh- my shoulders because on the bike, on the mountain bike especially, um, you're using your upper body so much. And I feel – for my body specifically, I need to activate that a little bit more. And it needs something more, sp- more specific than just, like, push-ups. Um, so I do some – like, I do this one exercise where I take the long band – I hook it onto like a doorknob or something that's like kind of waist height and then stand back to where the, the band is, um, is straight, not really flex, but just straight. And then with my, God, it's hard to explain this with, with like your arms straight, uh, doing some, some like, um, some would be like
0: external rotations.
1: Yeah, kind of an external rotation with the band around my hand, like my palm, and then uh, like pressing back. So it's actually like a really small movement. And that's what I've noticed with this, with the band stuff is like, I'm not using really thick, heavy bands. Um, And sometimes people think that like you need to because it's like, that's more force, more weight, right? But it's really about just like activating those really like the small muscles in between all of the, the big ones that you're normally using, you know?
0: Oh, so the band's in your palm and it's attached in front of you and you're actually your hands down by your side and you're pulling it back.
1: Yeah, yeah, exactly. Essentially, Okay. So
0: that'd be, <laughs> it. no, it's hard. You know, what's funny is that uh, I can struggle to describe workouts without a visual. And even when you have to write what a workout is as a description, Uh, It can be super difficult to like do it concisely enough to someone understands. Um, So, yeah, I I, I totally get it. That's a struggle for me, even though this is my job. So uh, it's like an internal rotation with your shoulder. uh, But essentially, that would activate your uh, upper back, even your triceps on that arm, uh, even your shoulder itself. And I think one thing people need to know, too, when they hear you say, I want to activate my traps is that, You don't just have upper traps, which are those ones that connect to your neck. You also have the mid and lower traps kind of between your shoulder blades, uh, which that movement really would target because it's like a retraction of your scapula. And I think that's a really great point because pushups are obvious. And even some type of plank or force in that direction would probably be great activation for your upper body. But that pulling is just as important because even off the start line, the sprint you're going to do requires you to rip on your bars. And so I think that the fact that that is your go to is pretty cool and kind of counterintuitive for a lot of people. So great tip.
1: Yeah, for sure. And as you brought up another good point is um, the reason I do that one is actually because I have had like I get really tight, you know, in that in your neck and that upper trap um and it's because i'm not like activating the lower traps and mid traps as much so it's kind of an interesting interesting thing to think about when you're spending so much time on the bike like the biggest thing that gets tight and sore is like my neck but um it's because i need to activate and strengthen those like smaller lower muscles more yeah the other one i oh, I, totally I really do and it's not really a specific workout but just taking that shorter band and i put it just above my knees and I, I, I start my activation routine with that, and I really do almost every exercise just with that band above my knees. Um, and just having it there really, like, reminds me to engage my glutes and my hip muscles and not necessarily, like, doing clamshells or, like, working against the band. But I just – I put it on my – above my knees, and it really reminds me to activate throughout, like, the planks, the – the side planks kind of everything so
0: oh that's a cool that's really cool great tip very practical too it's like just putting that band there and walking around is going to fire your hips because there's tension and you don't even have to think about it let alone going through the rest of your warm up so that's solid
1: yeah yeah exactly
0: so you do that band warm up and then you said you do 20 minutes on the rollers before you get out on the star line
1: yeah Yeah. So I do the activation. Um, it takes about like, I give myself 20 minutes just because I like some time to just like kind of do some mobility too, and just like be on the mat. Um, it's like the last time before everything gets really intense. Um, and then I jump on the rollers. I do like 20 minutes on the rollers, just kind of warm up quickly and then hit, try to hit like every kind of zone just do like a bit of tempo threshold, then some sprints, like make sure I really open up the respiratory system and get the heart rate high. Um, and making sure I'm just like really opened up and, and ready to go. Um, and then we're about like 20 minutes before the start. And so that's when I get off the rollers and I, uh, normally take my last little bit of caffeine. I've been using run gum from the feed, which I really like because it, uh, is a caffeinated gum that I feel really quickly. So I take it, yeah, like 20 to 15 minutes before the start. Um, and it's not something you drink that would like add more fluid to your stomach and then you have to pee or anything like that. Um, so I do that, and then I roll over to the start and uh, go to the boxes. So at the World Cup, they have um, these kind of corrals that everyone puts their rollers in. Or if you don't have rollers, you just you have to be in the boxes 10 minutes before the start. Um, so there's kind of like a stressful cutoff period that you're like rushing to. You're going to the bathroom for the last time, and then uh, you roll over to the start and – I hop back on the rollers just to kind of keep the the legs moving, um, maybe do a couple final sprints. Depends like how I'm feeling. And yeah. And then then they call you up and it's time to race.
0: That is so rad. I, I love hearing that. And even the detail about getting to the box at a specific time is interesting because you said there's a lot of rushing and making sure that you're getting I mean rushing is probably not the word you want to use on race day. There's a lot of uh uh urgency to get to places at the right time. And then though you get there and you have to wait. So it's like the hurry up and wait game is so real when it comes to racing across the board. Uh so it's interesting to hear like the different time checks that you have as you start this warm up. And so when you get into the actual race I am curious what what does heart rate look like for an average for it's essentially usually like what one hour ten minute race would be the average time yeah, um, yeah like what's race. your average heart rate on that
1: yeah hour ten hour thirty um I think I average like one eighty four to one eighty six i think for for the race usually
0: that is so gnarly, and how old are you
1: old guys <laughs>
0: Uh, how old are you? 24. 24. I missed what you just said.
1: Oh, I said it's pretty full gas.
0: Yeah. 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 Oh my gosh. Um, yeah. Cause even at 24 you're, you're, you're basically just yeah, <laughs> zone five in the whole time. Uh, that is, that is so gnarly. So I, we don't need to get into the details of the specifics, um, regarding racing, uh even though I almost want to like there's all these moments even watching you guys like the uh the Mont Saint Anne World Cup and that rock garden was insane uh and I've heard even from past podcast guest John Wesling he's a coach he was actually there racing it and he said the thing I learned about cross country racers is that they descend so much better than people think or give them credit for and I want to just touch on that real quick before we talk about post race and cool down um what do you feel like your strength is out there on the course? Like, obviously, you can keep your heart rate up for a really long time. But besides that, what is – a like, where do you feel like you have an advantage out there?
1: Yeah, I've always loved the technical courses. And I feel like the technicality aspect has always been a strength of mine um, and something that I just – I enjoy. So I think that also helps, like, when you love something – Uh, you look forward to it and and you just enjoy it more. So definitely the, the tracks that are more technical, um, I feel suit, suit myself better, but yeah, I feel like overall I've, I've, um, been building strength and kind of that stamina that, that just comes from racing more and racing at this level and gaining experience of, of just being at the front and, and racing fast, um. So I feel like that's built too, but yeah, I've always loved the the technicality of the courses, and yeah, a, a course like Mont Saint Anne, um, that that course is a beast. And this year, in that weather, was yeah, it was it was crazy. Um, it was terrifying. <laughs> it was it was really terrifying, and um, it was just it's always. It's always funny because we race at 1 p.m. on Sundays and the U23s usually race in the morning. So you have like the U23 girls go, U23 men. And so you're able to kind of watch these races happening throughout that like morning process that I'm going through and like mentally trying to prepare for my own race. You're also like kind of checking live timing, like checking updates to see, you know, how the course conditions are. Um, and I remember Mont St. Anne was like, A really intense one because um it was the last race of the season everyone was kind of you know anticipating it to the max and then the conditions were crazy and we were watching the u23s and just being like oh my gosh like what are we gonna do so (laughs) it was yeah it's always
0: wild yeah it's interesting because when you watch someone, especially riding through technical stuff, and I know this firsthand from growing up racing downhill, you want to watch the best riders go through it because those are the ones who are gonna make you feel confident. Anything but the best is go- it's gonna look like so difficult. and then you're questioning everything. Um, I remember that with downhill. like there's certain practices you're like, I am not gonna watch that one. Like I want to see the track, but I can't watch this right now because it's gonna get in my head uh, because they're not jumping this or they're not doing that. And so that is a really interesting tip and yeah, kind of cool to know that you're checking race timing and keeping uh, those course conditions in mind. Uh, so, okay, let's say you get through the race and you just got, or I guess we'll go, uh, we'll, we'll stick with Mount St. Ann this time. So you just get career best, fourth place, back on the podium, wild, successful way to end off the year. Uh, What's that? Oh, that was snowshoe.
1: We should talk about snowshoe because Mont St. Anne was the last race of the year. So the post-race isn't the same.
0: (laughs) Oh, very, very good point. That's a very good point. Okay. Um, So let's talk about snowshoe then. Uh, So you get the podium, uh, and not only podium, but your best result yet. Uh, You still have the last race coming up. What does the post-race look like for you, like immediately after crossing the finish line?
1: Yeah, Um, that's a really important one because – it's a back-to-back race weekend so we finish on sunday when we already have to race on friday so nailing recovery is super important um yeah for me like cross the finish line directly after um get my recovery so usually the team staff has it there at the finish line um and for me that's uh yeah, I've really been liking the fluid chocolate recovery from the feed. Um, it has, like, I think 10 grams of protein, 30 grams of carbs, so you immediately have, like, a bit of carbs, bit of protein, um, and I just really like the flavor of that. So I was using that a lot last season, um, and I, yeah, drink that right away and then, like, get dry and get a, get a dry kit and, like – get something dry on right away. Cause you're not cold, but you're going to be. And, um, that's like really important for me to just get dry and warm right away because, um, that's like the easiest way to get sick or anything. is just like, yeah, being in those, those wet, sweaty clothes. And then by the time you ride over to your team, uh, paddock setup, you're already a little bit chilled. So those are the two like key things. Um, yeah, with the podium ceremony, it's crazy because they do it right after the finish. So instead of going to your team tent, you're, like, corralled over behind the the podium. Um, so luckily, like, my staff has um, – normally has, like, all my stuff, like a, a pair of – or a, a dry jersey and my recovery. So I have it there. But that's definitely, like, something that's kind of um, – you really, that's, that stuff's really important, but they'll like corral you over to the podium. So you can't really like leave. Um, and then they do it right away, which is, which is great. Uh, and yeah, that's that, that, that happened at Snowshoe, So that was really exciting. And then, and then you're free. Um, it's about like, yeah, sometimes an hour and a half after the race. And, um, by the time you kind of get out of the crowds and back to the paddock. So,
0: That's so cool. I guess if there was an exception to your rule, as far as getting a dry kit goes, a podium is probably the most valid reason. (laughs) So I think that's a, that that's pretty, that's pretty rad. And so, uh, okay. So you finish up with that and I guess you get to kind of enjoy the rest of the day. Or do you guys go into full tear down the kit or tear down the pit mode from there? Cause I know like the operation of teams in and out of world cups is wildly fast. Like, considering the setup and how quick they are to just move on to the next kind of a thing. Uh, so are you, are you helping with all of that? Um, do you have a chance to kind of put your feet up in the pit and like talk for a little bit?
1: Yeah, it's all super quick, especially, um, with the men are racing right after us. So usually by the time I get back to the, to the temp, um, the guys are like, gone or just finishing their warm-up on the rollers. So again, like the energy is super intense, super high. Like they are, you know, full focus mode. And you're coming back like pretty cracked, kind of, you know, delusional. Like I I need to sit down. I need to like not talk to anyone. I need to eat something. um, All of that stuff. And yeah, I mean, normally on Sunday, like things are pretty – pretty full gas, like throughout the night and, um, rest of the afternoon. Cause we're just packing up, you know, like thinking about the next move. Um, normally we're, we're leaving on Monday. So we kind of have to like pack up and, and get ready to go pretty quick. Um, it's really nice when we have a day to just like chill, Um, but yeah, I mean, after the race, there's such a huge, like come down from the intensity and the focus and just like the adrenaline. So that is, um, kind of a whole other like decompression, uh, time, like opposed to preparation before the race. So it's something like you know, people don't really think about because they're like, Oh, the race is over. Like you can just kind of chill. And, um, yeah, it's actually like a really also intense in a different way. Um, and there's a lot, a lot of other stuff going on and you're kind of trying to like come down and like relax. And, uh, and also there's just like a lot of stuff going on. So
0: it's really cool that you bring that up because, it's such a valid thing to have that stress dump. I mean, really after anything big in life, but like, especially when your job is racing, you do the thing. Uh, and I'm sure it doesn't even matter on what the results are. You're going to have to process it. And there's going to be a lot of like stress. Um, I guess just moving around relief. Uh, maybe it could be added. I don't know. But that time after the race, you would have to take a second to collect yourself, especially since you are helping with all the team, getting stuff in and out. It's very busy. Uh, So it's cool that you bring that up. And I want to know about the parties post last race of the season, but we'll save that for another podcast. (laughs) Um, What I I really want to talk to you about is the, the Ford commercial that you were in because Ford is a title sponsor for your guys' racing team. And you were the star of the sick commercial. And it was one of those things where it almost like, transcends cycling in a sense where it's cool to see these bigger sponsors uh, from outside the industry support the industry and then when you take a a rider like yourself and and put them in that environment you're like oh my gosh this feels so much bigger this feels like a Super Bowl commercial or something it's like uh, it's like being on a print magazine it's like it's just a little bit different and so how has it been having a, a sponsor like that like is there anything with the car sponsor that's a little bit different that you've experienced
1: yeah, I think um I mean opportunities like that came up, which I don't think would ever really arise with, with other sponsors. It's pretty unique. Um but yeah, I mean we're we have a sponsorship with Ford France, so it's a bit of a different sector than like Ford US. Um but yeah, that that opportunity was crazy and uh it happened right after Worlds. So we were actually we were in Scotland for Worlds, and then this uh, video shoot was like a couple hours away. It just happened to be there, and they had the car there that um, luckily had the the dra- the wheel on the right side of the the car, so it wasn't like switched like all the cars are in in the UK. Um, but yeah, that was a a wild experience. With I mean, I've done like other video shoots, but this one was so um, like not. Uh, non endemic that it felt a little bit different for sure.
0: What do you mean by non endemic?
1: I mean, like I've done video shoots with you know around cycling or on the bike, but here the bike was part of the video, and and that was kind of cool that they were bringing it into the commercial. But this crew, I mean, I don't think they've ever worked with cyclists before. Um, oh yeah, and it was like it was it was interesting because. They, I was like uh, it was more of like an actor position than I've ever been in for these these videos. And they were like, oh, you know, like wh- the talent call time is here is here. And um, it was just yeah, it was very like they're used to working with actors and actresses. And um, I'm just this yeah, this cyclist who gets to drive this car. So it was pretty cool.
0: That, that is interesting just them referring to you as the talent uh, especially in the model type role uh, because I, I I'm sure it's like this for you as well. a lot of times a video shoot that I'm doing or that I've been around it's kind of someone that you know and you're looking at each other be like I guess we're gonna film this corner oh I guess we're gonna do like let's do this okay we have like a idea of what we want to get done um but it's a lot more casual than probably showing up on the set with your call time and the the whole operation around that. That's cool,
1: yeah, for sure. And there were so many times where, um like we had to do the skid scene so many times. I can't tell you how many, and um, it was just funny they're like they're asking me like, all right, can you make like the the rocks fly like just just a little bit more closer to the camera, like a little bit more here?" okay I'll try like let me go do it again (laughs) like well we'll try so I was like trying to perfect the skid and um yeah just funny things like that
0: that's awesome well thank you so much for just shedding some light on basically your full day at a world cup uh and also some of the ins and outs of just what you're doing uh with your career and huge congrats seriously like it's been so cool to watch this season and uh, very, very proud to have an American representing as strongly as you are on the world stage. So thank you for that.
1: Sweet. Yeah. Thanks so much for having me. It was great to go back into that race. Uh, yeah. Mindset. Think about it. It gave me some chills. I'm getting excited.
0: Oh, I bet. Yeah. So if people want to follow you, uh, for the upcoming year, where's the best place for them to go?
1: Yeah, uh, Instagram is where I'm the most active. I also have a website, um, but Instagram, Blunk, Blanc, um, pretty, yeah, pretty straightforward there.
0: Okay, perfect. I'll make sure to link both in the description below, and hopefully we'll catch up sooner than later. Um, and also, I'm going to have to reach out to Dennis now, just to complete this full circle thing.
1: Yeah, for sure. You have to. It was great to chat. Thanks for having me.
0: I hope you guys love that conversation with Sevilia. Seriously, so cool to talk to her and really learn the ins and outs of what's actually happening with the pros at the races because it's easy to have your own perception of what you think is happening. So hearing it firsthand is just amazing. And so I really want to thank her for coming on. Definitely go and follow her journey throughout the year. And I will see you guys on Tuesday. We're doing this new podcast schedule. It's kind of weird, shorter episodes, but upped frequency. So I'll be back Tuesday of next week. And we're probably going to be chatting about the Endurance Exchange, which is the endurance conference that I'm going to this weekend in Charlotte, North Carolina. It is hosted by USA Triathlon, but also includes cycling and running coaches uh, this year. And I'll be up there with Training Peaks Saturday, speaking at 1.30 on a panel, which is something I've never done before. I've never done any public speaking, really, which is kind of strange because I talk so much here on the podcast through social media uh, in other outlets, but never live in person. So (laughs) say a prayer that we absolutely nail it. I honestly think it's going to be a ton of fun and I can't wait to hang out with the training peaks guys. Um, and they're going to be announcing some really big stuff, which I'll likely fill you in on, on Tuesday. So until then have a great weekend and start moving forward.